Hey guys, welcome back to the Purpose of Money podcast. I'm super excited today to be joined with Deb Purdy. And in this episode, we're gonna talk about how to live a stronger, smarter, and happier life after divorce. You are listening to the Purpose of Money podcast, a podcast where we talk about ways to build wealth and create more freedom in your life today. I am your host, Aquania Escarne. Deb Purdy is the author of Something Gained, Seven Shifts to Be Stronger, Smarter, and Happier After Divorce. Through her books, coaching, and courses, Deb reframes divorce from a relationship failure to an important opportunity to know yourself better, heal your wounds, and improve your life. Deb helps her clients tap their power to reinvent divorce and use it as a catalyst for more love, compassion, and personal power. Deb, how are you doing today? Welcome to the show. I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to have this conversation because The Purpose of Money is a podcast where we empower women and female entrepreneurs, but we also talk about life and how to navigate that with purpose and when it comes to your finances, how to get through. And the reality is divorce happens. So let's talk about your story and how you help your clients. But before we dive into that, I like to just kind of get to know a little bit more about you. And I'm curious to know, since this is a money podcast show, what was money like for you growing up? Such a great question. (laughs) I had teenage parents. So my parents were only 16 and 20 when I was born. And, um, so I, money for my family was a struggle and they had four kids kind of back to back and I was the first and, um, my grandfather, my dad's dad was kind of, um, the savior of our family. He had money. He was very frugal. He had saved all his life. And whenever we had some sort of like need or I needed a new coat for school or something, my parents kind of had to go, you know, to my grandfather and get the money. My grandma made all my clothes and stuff like that. So I was kind of raised in a scarcity with, and I think it's not um, trivial that then this kind of person in authority was kind of the savior figure, you know, and my own sweet dad was always trying stuff. Like he was, he was pretty entrepreneurial and he was always trying things and they, never quite worked out, you know, and so he's always Mm -hmm. having to borrow money from my grandpa and stuff like that. So I kind of have a complicated relationship with money. (laughs) (laughs) And something that I've I've been working on really all my life and still do. And that's why I love your work so much, because it's shed so much light on on people's relationship with money and how to make it work for them. But it's, it's something that I, you know, I still even today are am cognizant of that I want to make friends with money, that I want to stop thinking about it as uh, scarce, you know. I love that. Yeah. Scarcity mindset is real. And so many people don't realize it can come from your childhood and how your family may have handled money. And I can totally see how you could think that way from time to time because it was scarce in your household. 
uh, being raised by young parents who are probably figuring it out mm-hmm. and trying to combine finances is definitely something that would have resonated with me as well. Thank you so much for sure. sharing that because that is probably one of the most unique backgrounds that I've had on the show so <laughs> far. So I love that. And I love how you like, you're like, look, they were young and they were figuring it out. And You know, it is hard when you have one parent who probably had all the passion in the world to be a successful entrepreneur, but, you know, it just didn't work out. And we have stories like that where you keep trying and you keep trying and grandparents save the day. So I love that. Yeah, that someone was there. You know, an interesting (laughs) kind of tie in is that when I was around 11 or 12, my dad finally his one of his businesses kind of got some traction and he was starting to make some money. And we were going to like get a new house and all this like great stuff. And in that moment, their marriage fell apart. And so this kind of, in a way, I think informs, you know, my choice and what I'm, what I'm doing with my life, because um, then everything he, he, he just like lost his heart and he, he lost his business. He just was so brokenhearted. And I'm, not blaming my mom or my dad. It's just, you know, they just weren't well matched and there's all mm-hmm. kinds of factors and stuff. But, you know, so that divorce at that age really, really impacted me in terms of how I felt about marriage and divorce and how I handled my subsequent marriage and divorce. Wow. Okay. Let's talk about that. What inspired you to take up this honorable position of helping individuals transition from married life to divorce and becoming their healthiest, strongest self? Was it your own divorce or was it your parents' divorce? Um, how did, how do you get to where you are? That is is such a good question. Um, I had this belief because my parents got married as teenagers and I, my grandparents, I came from kind of a long line of women that got married as teens and and while my grandparents and my great grandparents didn't divorce, they had they weren't happy. You know, they were not happy marriages. And in my mind, I interpreted that as, you know, if you get married too young, you're not, you know, I, I just thought that. So I thought, you know what? I'm gonna divorce proof, proof myself. I'm gonna wait till I'm in my 30s to get married. I'm gonna like know myself, be established, you know. And so I purposely did that. I purposely I got married when I was 34. Um, that was part of my master plan to divorce proof myself. <laughs> and when I met um, my ex, we had this amazing chemistry. You know, we were both in this kind of in the same place in our life. This is perfect. This is great. It's going to work. It's going to be great. And um, it was until it wasn't. <laughs> and um, I I was crushed because when you when you go into marriage, you do not expect it to go up in flames. You you think you hear the divorce stats, but you think, oh, no, that's not going to be me. Mine's going to be one of those ones that makes it. So when when it crashes and burns, you know, there's a lot of guilt and shame around that. There's a lot of cultural guilt and shame that is even in addition to the pain and the hurt that you feel. And that is no. Yeah. So so I I got divorced right at a time when I started a master's degree in spiritual psychology. And I learned a lot about my patterns and what how I showed up in the marriage and what I my part in the dynamic. And at first, at the beginning of my divorce, I was very much in the victim status. And I even have a 
money story I'll tell you later about that, about that that tied it in. But but I realized that no, I I had patterns, I had things that I brought that that contributed to the dis- dissolution and the dysfunction of the marriage. And as soon as I was able to recognize those, to own them, I could decide, hey, I don't I don't want to show up that way again in another relationship. I I mm-hmm. all the little things that I did to try to make my self-divorce proof didn't matter. I, I was bringing all these childhood patterns in with me that I that were running under the surface or unconscious things running under the surface that informed how I showed up. So I really learned and went to school on that. So I was able to go from kind of the dueling attorneys sitting across the table, getting ready to annihilate, annihilate each other's situation to completely turning it around and creating... Um, a very loving and collaborative co-parenting relationship with him. I, or my kids were little then. And and through today when he he will always be part of my family. You know, mm-hmm. I'm grateful for what I learned being married to him. I I I'm not I'm don't wish I was still married to him. I'm I'm you know that wasn't a thing. But you know what we learned together we both needed you know, to go on and do the things that we were meant to do. Man, that's such a good story because I know, I don't think it's ever intentional, but I know some people, they have a very bitter, painful, hurtful divorce and navigating the two attorneys is just the beginning, right? Then it's visitation of the children and using children as a weapon against the other sometimes. It's just so unfortunate. And the kids suffer, right? So I love how you had an aha moment and you had to recognize the role you played in what was happening, but then use that to learn from each other. Yeah. And I genuinely believe that when you have children together, even when you don't, because I have seen divorces where the individuals don't have children Mm -hmm. together, but they are still friends and they're still very present in each other's life. They're just not together. Mm -hmm. So I love that you and your ex-husband were able to find a way to figure that out too, right? Like, hey, we have children together. We need to make this work. But we're not meant for each other. Right. So how did you turn that into a platform where you help other people? What was the motivation to do that? Because that takes a lot of courage um, and vulnerability because I'm sure you had to start with telling your own story. I did. Thank you for asking that. Yeah. The process I went through was so powerful. And what I realized, you know, is that there is this cultural pressure, you know, there's this cultural, I call it the big lie that divorce is bad and marriage is good. It's just that binary. And we all know it's not that simple and we get married for so many reasons. And, but we just still, so when people get divorced, they, along with all of the feelings that they have, they're feeling the cultural thing. And I I really think that's what fuels a lot of the blame and shame and, you know, the bitterness that comes through with people because they, you know, they're, they're even, you know, their supporters and people around them are kind of feeding that too. It's not just them. So that's why I think changing the conversation about divorce is really important. But I, I had this realization that divorce isn't good or bad. It just is. And it was happening. And I had a choice about how I wanted to look at it, how I wanted to use it. So I could, you know, continue to be miserable, which I didn't like and I wasn't enjoying at all. Or I could say, you know what, this is painful. 
it hurts, but I'm going to use this as a do-over to create my life the way I want it. And this is a catalyst. This is an invitation to me to look at, put everything on the table and choose what I want to go forward with. And so I had been a coach for years, um, just a life coach without a, a, a niche like this. And of course, so with my coaching mind, I started thinking about, you know, once I was able to do that, like, what are the steps that I went through? How did I do this? And I was just really inspired to write that book so that I could just share it with people. And I had started to use some of the techniques with people I was working with one-on-one and, you know, getting feedback and being able to make adjustments and things. And I just, I just really felt called to put that out there because I feel like there's so much negative negativity around divorce. And I just really wanted to have a different message out there. Like this can be a do-over. This can be a catalyst for something much better for you that if you let it, if you choose that for yourself. I love that. So yeah, let's take a time to talk about your book, Seven Shifts to Be Stronger, Smarter, and Happier After Divorce. How long did it take you to write the book? Um, it took about 14 months. So I, I was working, you know, I actually had um, at that time I was working as a coach, but I was also working as a freelance writer and I had my kids, you know, so I was writing on Saturdays. And so I would just get up really early on Saturday and, um, you know, try to put four or five hours in before noon or, you know, by early afternoon. And I just, I was so, it's just one of those things that got a hold of me and I couldn't not write it. I just really felt like I wanted to get this out of me and out into the world. So I just chipped away at it every weekend. Good. And then got it out there. And now it's a tool. Have you um, ever coached some of your clients into navigating the next marriage? Is that something that comes up from time to time, depending on um, the path that your clients take? And if so, like how... How do you recommend someone um, approach life if they do want to be married again? That is such a great question. And yes, <laughs> and <laughs> and what I really recommend and in the clients that I work with is before you jump into the next thing, because a lot of times for people, the compulsion is, you know, after the messiest part is over to start dating again and get out there and stuff. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that if that person has taken the time to process uh, what there is and and get the information there is for themselves. So like me, you know, looking at what your patterns were in your divorce and in your marriage, your marriage is like a, a laboratory. It's like a real life laboratory and all the fights that you had and all the conflicts and stuff, that's all like your invaluable research on what triggers you and why and what you're bringing with you. Because if you don't do that work and kind of go back, it's likely that you might take those patterns into another relationship. And you might even be attracted to someone else that has similar traits to your ex unknowingly because you're still working those things out. And I'd love to give you an example that ties back to money from my own thing. Mm -hmm. And that is, yes, (laughs) I had from my childhood, a lifelong pattern of being an overpleaser. So it was kind of peace at any price. Um, my ex is really nice guy, but he had real dominant personality. And I would just say yes, even to things I didn't want to do in terms of money. Um, so he was like, 
you know, super uh, risk taker more than me, which is fine. I mean, that it's not wrong. It's just that I wasn't like that. I was, you know, I'm chipping away at my savings. I, for many years, had a corporate job with a 401k and all that. And I just saved and saved and saved. And right in during the, at the end of our marriage was a time when people were like buying and flipping houses. And um, if you weren't doing that, it felt like you're just out of the loop of the tsunami of money that everyone was making. It was like kind of right at the beginning of that. And he, mm-hmm. in his way that he was, was finding all these deals to do and stuff. And he was bringing them home and he found this one great deal and it was like a sure thing and this and that. And we're going to make all this money. And I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds great. That sounds great. And he said, and all we have to do is put all our equity from our house and all of our savings into it. And I was so in the grip of being an overpleaser. I, I, that made me want to throw up, you know, like everything in my body screamed, no, do not do that. This is bad. (laughs) (laughs) But I, you know, I did it. You know, I signed the paper, shaking my, and guess what? In six months, that money was gone. Like it didn't Mm. work. Like, you know, I, yeah, that was like, what do you do? You're like, oh my God, I knew better, but I didn't say no. I knew better, but I didn't say no. So, you know, for a while, I mean, that was the huge, like our marriage didn't last very long past that all the other problems, mm. you know, that and all the other problems really surfaced and it didn't last. But a lot of people around me are like, oh, what a jerk. I can't believe you pressured you, you know. And for a little while, I'm like, yeah. You know? <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> but I realized when I applied these rules to my own self, I could have said no. I could have said, I'm not doing that. You know, you can take your half and do whatever you want, but I'm not doing it. And I didn't. I abandoned myself then. And then it started this cascade of realizing how many times I had abandoned myself in the past by saying yes. Not in a way that I was going into self-judgment and beating myself up, but just like in an aha moment, like, oh, my gosh, I really need to I need to get my arms around this pattern and stop this. And if I Mm. wouldn't have owned that and realized it and then set my intention to work on it i i just would have taken that into the you know into my next relationship and i no that's so good yeah Yeah. and that's not that's not going to help you in the long run because like you said you might attract the same person you might continue to do the same things and end up in a different situation but similar outcome where nobody wins right that's exactly right so to kind of tie back to your question, I think it's so important that people do that, some of that work, you know, you don't have to have yourself completely figure it out, but just what were your patterns? What, how did you show up and did it work for you? Mm. And what do you want to make sure you kind of clean up before you go into a new relationship? So I, I work with people doing that and then Mm -hmm. deciding, you know, who do I, you know, when I think and help people get into new relationships, there's, a couple of questions we ask, you know, what do you want? You know, do you want the same thing you had before? Do you want a marriage? Do you want that? You know, there's a million different varieties of what you can, you could do with a relationship. Who do you mm-hmm. want? And, and so what, you know, what are the qualities? What are your non-negotiables and all that? And who do you want to be? And really looking in, you know, how you want to show up in a relationship and, and what's important to you and, and, and all that. So 
I really like those yeah. questions. So what do you want? Who do you want? What are your non-negotiables? And who do you want to be? Yeah. That is so good. Who do you want to be? Because like you, like we said in, in the intro, your book helps people reinvent themselves mm-hmm. after divorce or figure out who they want to be after divorce. And I do feel like life, we change, you know, who I was at 18 is not who I am at 39. And there's just a lot of things that I see differently. Um, I'd love to get your take, though, on advice for someone who's currently going through a divorce. Yeah. So if there's anyone listening right now who is transitioning or you see the writing on the wall and your relationship is not going the way you intended and you may be pursuing divorce soon, mm-hmm. what advice do you have? What are three things you recommend they do um, to get through this tough time? One of the first things um I would tell people that are just in at the beginning of the process is gather your support group, you know, gather the people around you, your friends, your family, a therapist, a coach, or both, you know, support, actual support groups of people that are in the same situation as you, like surround yourself with a cushion of love of, you know, because you need that. And this is not a time to like tough it out. This is a time to ask for help. This is a time to take care of yourself. So that's a that's one of the first things I would do, tell people to do is make sure and a good, you know, you had and I, I'm so sorry, I don't remember her name. But you had that wonderful attorney on talking about divorce. Oh, yeah. She was terrific. Kimberly Cook. Yeah, find someone mm-hmm. like that, a loving person who's going to help you like get the highest and best, not, you know, someone that's just going to that's has kind of the, the attitude about divorce is more culturally accepted and and older mm-hmm. you know what I mean? you mm-hmm. want an attorney who's a who's a really compassionate loving person like she is um, absolutely i'll make sure to link um the uh, drop the link to the episode with kimberly cook in the show notes yeah. so you guys can listen to that as well yeah she is the creator of grown girl divorce yes yes mm-hmm. i think it's so important that the attorney that you work with is someone that shares your values in terms of what you want to create next because there are a lot of attorneys out there that are kind of just, you know, the, the attorney I had at first was just very classic old school guy. Like, your husband is a jerk. I take care of everything. Blah, 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 you know. And that, those were my values. I'm like, I, you know, what? You know, and, and making sure you, you know, you, th- you think of the long, you know, not just the short-term goals, but the long-term goals. And I, I do end up working with a lot of um, women, mostly some men, but mostly women, after long-term marriages. It seems like, mm-hmm. you know, that that's, more of my the group that gets drawn to me after 20 30 and 40 years and so they're shell shocked even in a different way you know that someone in a in earlier in their in their life and so yeah i would totally agree i think there's a a term for that gray divorce um is something that they're calling it now when Mm -hmm. you you're getting married in your um, more senior years and you've probably been with that person for decades Does your device, does your advice change at all, though? I mean, if I've been married five years or been married 25 years, do you think there's anything different that I should be doing? You know, it doesn't change. It's 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 a lot of the same things. It's just that there's different considerations and challenges for older people that are getting divorced. And so it's it's we're talking about different things. Like people mm-hmm. after like, you know, in their 60s, getting divorced 50s, 60s and later, they thought this is 
they have, they're close to like retirement or whatever they're going to do. And they had this plan and they're angry in a whole, in a whole, at a whole different level because they're like, this wasn't what was supposed to happen in this time of my life. So we spent a lot of time talking about that and what that looks like and reinventing yourself at 60, at 65, mm-hmm. you know, what that looks like. So it's not a different, but it is some additional components, let's say. But one of the one of the most important things I say to anyone, no matter you know where they are in their stage of life, is one of the most important things you can do is decide that you're going to use your divorce as a catalyst for what's next and commit to yourself that you're going to invest in yourself to do what it takes to recover. And, you know, and that means doing all these things that we've been talking about, but some people I've, I've seen kind of get carried on in the current of it and, and feel powerless and forget they have a lot of power in these decisions. So if I decide I'm going to do whatever it takes to recover, that means I'm going to invest, I'm going to invest differently. I'm going to talk to people differently. I'm going to change the conversations I have with my friends and family instead of saying, this is so terrible. You know, my life is over. I'm going to say, I feel terrible. And sometimes I feel like my life is over, but I don't want to live here. I want to reinvent myself. So I'm going to ask you to support me in that, you know, things like that. I, I really like the way you phrase that. And it kind of led me to one of the questions at the top of my mind now, which is how much do you share, especially maybe in a situation where you've been married a long time, your families are intertwined, you have kids involved. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't know about you, but I have family members who are super passionate and they're like cheerleaders for Aquania all day, every day. <laughs> and if I shared too much, they might develop a negative behavior or feelings towards um, the other person, right? So what's your advice on that vulnerability, that transparency, you know, even though you're not supposed to suffer in silence, how much of what's happening should you protect so that it doesn't impact other family relationships? Does that question Aquania, that's a brilliant question. <laughs> I'm so okay. glad you asked me. It's such a nuance that hardly anybody ever asked me. But you're exactly right. You you want to have, you know, the layers of the onion and you, you're sharing everything with like say a a therapist or a coach it's just like you're but with the outer layers like you know we all have that best friend that we know or or someone you know that is a safe person to be like really real with but other people like family and i i had a similar thing where everyone always really liked my ex until i got divorced and i i was oversharing with my mom and like you know some different people and to this day, even though my mom still can't stand him, it's like, mom, you know, <laughs> you know, so that is such a point well taken and, and well addressed is that with people like that, that, you know, like you said, they're team Aquania all the way and they just, anyone that hurts you, they're going to just like be really like a mother bear about, you're just to them going to say, I am I am using this experience to reinvent myself. I'm, I have healing to do. I'm going to invest in that. And so I don't want to talk about, you know, my focus is not on my ex and what he did and what I did. I want to focus forward 
So I, I want, I would love your support in that, you know, so that you just kind of set the ground rules and you don't go too deep on those kinds of things, except with the very, very safe people. It might be someone in your life that may, you may not, it might be just your therapist. That's okay. Either way. Yeah. But you know, you, you need someone and usually a therapist is great for that. I love that. And I also like the fact that you're stressing the importance of mental health and seeking therapy if you need it. I think anytime you have a major change in your life, a therapist can be useful. Mm -hmm. Anytime you just need to get through life, a therapist can be useful. And having them on your team is amazing Mm -hmm. and helpful. So yeah, no, this has been a really good conversation just to navigate what could happen Mm -hmm. and how to react. Um, Of course, you know, as a fan of the show, the show is called The Purpose of Money. And I asked all my guests this signature question, what is your purpose for money? Wow. I love that question. I do love that question. Um, My purpose for money is an energy that I can use to be a light in the world. So I, it gives me freedom and joy, but I also want to use it to empower me to share my message and get to know people and you know, it's, I, I, this is all part of kind of an evolving relationship with money, Aquania that I have, <laughs> but it just, the energy of freedom and of sharing and of joy. I love that of joy. That's wonderful. So wonderful. So guys, in this episode, we really talked about inventing, reinventing yourself and defining your life, your new happiness and joy after divorce with Deb today. And I think this was an eye opener because um, although we've had another episode on divorce with attorney Kimberly Cook, we really didn't get into how to handle it emotionally or how to protect your mental health by having the right team, a coach, a therapist, and the right family around. And I think that this just brought another perspective on how to navigate the next phase of your life, whether it's been a five-year marriage that's ending or a 25-year marriage that's ending. So Deb, I wanna thank you so much for being on the show today. Before we go, I would love for you to tell listeners where can they find you on social, what's your website, so they can connect if they wanna work with you. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I do have a website, it's debpurdy.com. And um, I'm on Instagram at love, at love Deb Purdy. So those are my, those are my main, and I do actually have a um, Facebook group called thriving after divorce. I love that thriving after divorce. I'm here for it. I'll make sure to include all of your links in the show notes so people can connect, follow and reach out if they want to work with you. Guys, if you enjoyed this episode, I want you to please share it with someone else who also needs to know. I also would love for you to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening because reviews are how other people find the show. Until next time, keep building generational wealth. Thank you for listening to the Purpose of Money podcast. For more resources and information, check out my website, thepurposeofmoney.com. 
And while you're there, please sign up for our newsletter so you'll have all the latest information on new episodes and blog posts. Until next time, keep building generational wealth. Thank <laughs> you.